Then move not while my prayer's effect I take. Thus from my lips by thine my sin is purged. And have my lips the sin that they have took. Sin from my lips, O oh, trespass sweetly urged, give me my sin again. Yes, yes, um, not quite right. It is more, let me, then have my lips the sin that they have took. Sin from my lips, O oh, trespass sweetly urged, give me my sin again. of Better in Bed, the podcast where we talk about sex and inspire you to get better at it. So thanks for so much. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. <laughs> Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we love all of the stuff that you send us through sarahsense.com and through social media. We're constantly crowdsourcing material for this podcast and we read all of your comments and questions and stories and we try to respond personally as well so whether it's on the show or um dropping us a line you know come hang with us okay it's hello sarah sense for me on instagram and double star code for jai um now if you've listened to us for a while you'll know that jai and i are really big fans of using surveys and statistics to highlight sexual trends and debunk myths and misconceptions. So whether we're talking sex and fitness or the pleasure gap or female ejaculation, there's actually a fair bit of research that goes into each of the episodes we put together. And we always try to give you a balance of the latest scientific thinking and present accurate facts alongside our own personal perspectives and storytelling. Which brings me to my guest today. So Her name is Jade Lovell, and she proudly calls herself a science nerd. She runs her own science PR consultancy and is also the host of the very popular PsyQ channel on YouTube, which is based out of New York. So hello, Jade. Hi, how are you guys going today? We're good. Welcome to Better in Bed. Thanks so much as well for getting up extra early to call us all the way from New York. It's awesome to have you on the show. Well, if you're in New York, you have to enjoy sex in the morning. New York's like Hong Kong, though. It's one of those cities that never sleeps, isn't it? Well, it, hopefully if you're not going to sleep, you can do something enjoyable in the meantime. Yeah, well, I, I'm the absolute opposite of a morning person, but... Um, I, I can't really think of anything worse usually than just <laughs> <laughs> staying in bed for those extra few more seconds <laughs> of sleep. Now, now, Jade, I trawled through your YouTube channel and you've got some awesome videos on sexuality topics that I thought were so fun. So I enjoyed watching the ones on virtual reality sex. You've got one on... Awkward boners. I thought that was the best. Actually, I, I love that one. Um, you've got one on morning after pills. And my personal favorite, um, why street people enjoy taking it up the butt. Um, 
I love that one. <laughs> Such a good topic. <laughs> it is a good topic. It's um that's one of yeah. the things about science is that uh, there's so many different parts of sex that we need to explore. So I hope that I'm doing a similar thing on YouTube that you guys are doing on this podcast, explaining yes. sex. Absolutely. You're definitely debunking myths. You use so much great information as well in your videos. And it's presented in such a sort of accessible, sort of engaging style as well. I love it. Um, and given the topic today, which is exploring the forbidden, I think we're going to have to revisit that little butt science nugget. <laughs> butt science nugget. That's, yeah. That's <laughs> but, but first, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you? Um, where are you from? How do you know Jai? Because Jai oh, yeah. was the one who set, set this up for us. Yeah, so Jai and I go way back. We worked at the same marketing company. We're almost exactly the same age and we have similar names, <laughs> and Jai. So we, we just re started referring to ourselves as Big J and Little J when we were working. <laughs> That's true. And you both, ha you both have a Y in your name as we well, do, which, is, weird, which right? is which is a little bit unusual in the spelling. Yeah. <laughs> just to punish everyone that's trying to spell our names correctly. We yeah. but a lifetime of spelling it out. Jai and I were both, we're, we are slash were both strategists. And I think that, um, especially when we're talking about sex and relationships, there's um, so much strategy that goes into different parts of our life. So like you've heard of investment strategy to maximize your return on investment or financial strategy to maximize your finances, but we never really talk about romantic strategy. So it was interesting as a strategist, I think there's so much more that we can do to like work out where we should be investing our resources so we can maximize our romantic happiness. So I kind of come up with that from a bit of a, a strategist point of view. And I don't know if you yeah. share that, Jai. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I think from the whole, what motivates people to do things definitely kicks in, but also kind of, um, why people are attracted to other people based on more of kind of that human inside idea of, you know, this, this kind of personality brings out this side of me versus these kind of interests or this kind of almost chemistry makeup makes me feel like this. And it's, I guess in that sense, it's definitely like linking insights to behaviors and then definitely overanalyzing them. But I do enjoy the kind of that idea of, you know, mapping those sorts of things. So maybe you're right. And I've just never thought about it. <laughs> Yeah, but you're you're saying you're fascinated by sort of like the science of love and the science of sex in some ways. Yeah, like and and other bits of science, really. If you, have you ever watched those like murder, like whodunit TV shows or like the psychology of mass murderers? I love those shows because I'm fascinated by like, yeah, I love what's those. up with people, and it's the same for relationships. <laughs> it's like how do people's brains work? Why are we attracted to this thing instead of that thing? Why can't yeah. we stop behaving yeah. this way and why do we behave in that way? It's so fascinating. It is. So where does your love for science actually originate from? Have uh, you always had that, like as a kid even? Yeah, so I grew up in Australia. And if you know anything about Australia, you know that every creature there is trying to kill you. So a love of like, <laughs> understanding of life sciences and like nature is a really important survival skill. But, you know, as I said, understanding what's up with people always fascinated me and so I studied neuroscience yeah. um, as an undergraduate and trying to get my mind around like why people act the way they do 
Yeah. Okay. And I think neuroscience, I mean, we talk a lot about neurochemicals. And, yeah, we, we do, especially um, on the yeah the chemistry side and kind of the, the hormonal side, et cetera. But yeah. I don't think we've ever had a chance to talk to like... Like a real neuroscientist. A real person. <laughs> I should say for the record, I am not a research scientist. So sometimes if I drop the word neuroscientist, people are like, oh, like have fun in the lab. I'm not, a, I'm not going to go and do some more research. But the thing about science is that everyone yeah. can understand it. So... I can read the science paper yeah. just as easily as you guys can or just as – like anyone can Google stuff or Google Scholar stuff and find information. So science is open to everyone and don't be afraid to like um, read what's up with people and, and access those studies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And how did you first learn about sex? Was that also science-based? Did you take a very scientific neuroscience <laughs> – <laughs> approach. It's so funny that we teach the biology <laughs> of sex, but we don't teach the psychology of sex. So I kind of got exposed to yeah. the physical part of sex. You know, when you're in high school and you go into those super awkward sex education classes. Um, but this kind of leads into our topic of the forbidden, because here where I am in the United States, yeah. they teach in about half the states in the United States, they teach abstinence only as sex education. So you ask yeah. like, how did I learn yeah. about sex? I learned about it yeah. first from like people educating me. And so if you teach here in the US, so you teach like sex, don't ask questions, just don't do it until marriage. You make it something that's forbidden. Yeah. And so we know from psychology yeah. that when you make something forbidden, people want to explore it more. So there's so much research to show that when uh, in states where uh, they teach abstinence only sex education and don't actually explain the biology behind uh, sex and the psychology yeah. behind why you might be attracted to someone. They have higher rates of STD infection, higher rates of teen pregnancy. So we kind of can see anecdotally that making so making sex forbidden in whatever way that might be, sex or sex acts, makes it more desirable and makes people curious to explore it. Yeah. Well, I was a product of, you know, abstinence-based uh, sex education. I, well, I, 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 I was about to say, like, like yeah. abstinence-based sex education. That's kind of an oxymoron because it wasn't really education at all. It was just, like, no <laughs> education. So um, I think it also just led to a lot of bad decision-making because you're, you're just clueless when it actually does happen. You're completely unprepared um, as a teenager when sex does happen. And then you're, you know, um, the other thing that you didn't mention, but is also part of the um, scientific proof that abstinence education doesn't work is that um, most of people, most people who are uh, sort of products of abstinence education have, unprotected sex um for their first few encounters and i definitely was one of those people well i have a question for you then sarah do yeah. you think that this podcast exploring this topic now is a product of that abstinence only education do you think you're doing this to explore what you couldn't have explored when you're younger in life yeah 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 i mean i i am and if anything i'm actually hoping that it will reach people who have the same background as me because it's quite common in yeah. Asia. Um, and that it's just a healthy resource um, for almost, you know, changing the way that sex was taught to me. 
Yeah. Um, and, and not just like the mechanics of it, but there's so much that yeah. we, even in sex education, even in the best sex education class, we don't explore everything in your psychology. People are always going to want to explore. So I'm so glad yeah. there's resources like this one out there to give people more information. Never have enough. Yeah. I think the big difference is, is that what is taught or what, you know, as classes education is very functional yeah. in the sense of, you know, this occurs. So this you goes can, in here. Yeah, this goes in here. This, this, is so you, this is how you make a baby. Like it, yeah. it, 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 it deals with almost the process of sex rather than the motivations and behaviors around it. Yeah. And it certainly doesn't deal, therefore, with, you know, impact on mental and emotional state or relationships like that. Yeah, like it doesn't tell you, you know, why would you even want to have sex? When do you feel you're ready to have sex? Those are such mm. important questions for if you're a teenager. Ooh. And sex education doesn't talk about any of that. Yeah, and it's interesting that a lot of the places that do teach abstinence only or avoid talking or talking about sex in schools um, often come from like a conservative Christian background. I'm not sure if that yeah. the the way it was in Hong Kong for you, Sarah. But it's so funny that even though they come from a Christian background, what's the first story that you get in the Bible? It's the story of Adam and Eve and the snake. Everything's going great for Adam and Eve. They're happy in the garden. And then this <laughs> comes down and it's like, this is forbidden. You're not allowed to have it. And then everything goes awry. So even in the Bible, in the very first story, we know that when things are forbidden, it leads to people having yeah. a hard time. Yeah, pretty much the downfall of humankind. So Jade, you came up with this topic, exploring the forbidden, right? Um, and we've had a quite a bit of correspondence around it. But tell me why you chose it and what exactly fascinates you about this topic. Yeah, so I wanted to, I kind of had a personal reason for exploring this one. I had a good friend who wanted to avoid uh let's call her demi as in demi moore who has is well known <laughs> to have um okay she didn't want to be monogamous in her relationship but her partner did want to have a monogamous relationship so oh, that's tough yeah there was conflict and i know yeah. you've spoken about open relationships before so yep. I, it was interesting because they'd agreed in that relationship they were going to have an open relationship because they wanted to avoid that hurt of cheating if one person wants to explore. They wanted to make that okay. But what mm. I saw was that even that solution of an open relationship didn't actually work to stop the heartbreak that they'd been trying to avoid because in every relationship, open, monogamous, whatever it might be, you always have or you often have rules. So in Demi's case, one of the rules was that you can't, you can have sex with anyone, but you can't have sex with friends. So of course, yep. the first thing that Demi wanted to do was have sex with the friendly guy in the cubicle next to them in the office. So <laughs> I was yep. fascinated by like, what is it that makes people desire the things that they can't have? Hence the topic. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, what, do you have a theory for this, Jai? Why do we want what we can't have? I think it's because, well, I think, and again, Jade, you can jump in and correct me on this, but certainly with kind of like sexual acts, I know that because the your mind becomes so focused on the actual act, it can heighten the entire experience. And basically there's big doses of adrenaline, um, the, the fear of getting caught and kind of the... Um, 
other kind of contextual kind of motivators will actually drive you further to remember and want the act? I mean, for me, like when I look at it from like a sexual perspective, right? If um, why do we like, let's say, want someone that we can't have and why do we find that particularly erotic? For me, I think it's because um, there's this paradox that, you know, the most the best sex is really sort of exciting and risky um, and that tends to be with people that maybe we can't have or who are a little bit out of our league, um, you know, who are a bit sort of wrong, but yet right kind of thing. It's the um, bad boy complex yeah, as well. Yeah, it's the bad boy complex, exactly. As opposed to sort of the sex which you can have, with, which is kind of safe and predictable and comfortable, probably with somebody that you really, really love and, and spend a lot of time with. Um, but there's this spectrum I feel where love on one hand and lust on the other hand are almost like polar opposites and it's this thing that I think as all humans we kind of struggle with you know yeah and not only through uh things like sex but also for anything that's forbidden so if you can't have if you're on a in having you know you're dieting and you can't eat fatty foods of course you crave them because it's something that you're yeah. not allowed to have and there's a lot of neuroscience to back that up yeah i mean i think as long as like for me personally i think as well i'm just such a like I'm such a little rebel, I think, which is why I could. So I'm, I actually grew up, I was born in Singapore. But if you know anything about Singapore, um, you'll realize that it's a, it's a society where a lot of things are forbidden. So even <laughs> things gum, like chewing gum, spitting on the floor. I mean, it's a, such a censored and regulated country. Um and for me, being like the little rebel as well, it's kind of like if you tell me not to do something, I automatically want to do it. I, I just, you know, I think I don't like being told what to do. Yeah. So I wonder if that ties into it as well, you know. Yeah, well, that feeling that you like kind of intuitively identified between love and lust, there's neuroscience behind that. So exciting okay. sex that is... Uh, you know, a one night stand, for example, or something that you've been lusting after for a while, that releases neurochemicals like um, dopamine and adrenaline into the brain. So that feeling of lust, you know, that feeling of butterflies in the stomach, that that feeling of risk, that's on, you're right, Sarah, that's on one end of the neuroscientific spectrum. And then on the other side is that safe relationship sex where you might have been married to the same yeah. person for 20 years and you feel really comfortable with them. And so the sex in that type of relationship often releases a different neurochemical um, and that like it's sometimes called the cuddle chemical. So uh, it's called yeah. oxytocin. So you feel differently yeah. even though the act is very similar right yeah, right well um i don't know i i think also people crave different i mean i think we all crave like the feel-good neurochemicals but i feel like some people are more susceptible to the more thrilling adventurous neurochemicals because um I don't know, they value that more as well. They value excitement in their life. They value adventure. Where some people value, I don't know, 
comfort. Yeah, routine structure and kind of structure. So I think we're all also made differently, and perhaps it's also us responding differently and being more susceptible to one neurochemical after um, versus another. Yeah. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, they they again you you like hitting intuitively on all the science there, Sarah. Nicely done. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I too can be a neuroscientist. <laughs> we'll give you your PhD. Or we'll just send it. Yeah. Now, like what you say, there's some people that you you can see them in every aspect of their life. They really um they take more risks than your normal person might take. So some people go home and watch Netflix, and some people go home and uh you know they. Um, you know, they might like skydiving. That only appeals to certain people. It's the same with sexually uh, sexually risky behavior. Some people are more likely to engage in that. But the thing that is really interesting is that they only recently started doing fMRI scans and studying this stuff. So science is supposed to be out there um, helping us understand the world. But in the one, one section of our life that was definitely underfunded and under-researched is the neuroscience of sex. So the first neuroscientific right. studies of impulse control related to sex only came out about eight years ago, which is crazy. Really? So we don't really understand yeah. why some people want to do things like this more than others. Um, and it can also like depend on what stage of life you're in. And, you know, even for women, like what time of the month it might be, um, you know, we feel like yeah. different. I know that I feel differently depending on what time it is. So, uh, you know, it just depends. Uh, It varies from person to person. And that's okay. That's the whole point of this is that we, there's nothing culturally that is off limits. There's no like rules of what's right and wrong. So things that are forbidden are usually things that we ourselves have made forbidden for one reason or another. And and I guess that's a good um, uh, chance to say that because what we're talking about really isn't just things like cheating. We actually want to get into more of that specifics around things that are considered taboo, things that are considered, you know, slightly alternative and why are those things become fetishized and why do people want to engage in, you know, whether it's anal sex, you know, gay sex, you know, just exploring kind of different situations, whether they're, you know, sex with multiple people, etc., rather than necessarily just bang up cheating. Um and I guess it's, you know, to your point, it's those nuances around what is considered taboo versus what is considered immoral really starts to, you know, it's a very young conversation, certainly society. And it, as a result, or maybe better put, like, you know, for the reason for that is because it's really not discussed in science. And I think, you know, certainly when we think about the grants that are made uh, and where governments and where different institutions are investing, that's not a conversation that people are ready to have yet. Yeah, no scientific yeah. researcher is like, you know what, I want to study ejaculation. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, I, I mean, what we found just even through doing this show, because we do, we do do quite a bit of research into some of our episodes, is that sexual science is really seriously underfunded, and it sucks because sometimes, for example, we we did that that episode on female ejaculation, right, on squirting, right, and I'm telling you, there is so little out there on squirting and the studies that have been um, conducted on squirting are just these isolated studies with like seven people and they and they're all sort of making these huge leaps of logic oh you know because squirt originates in the bladder therefore we think most of it is pee 
Um, <laughs> so, you know, we present what we can in terms of um, here's what the research says, but then we also try to fill in, you know, with our own sort of storytelling and our own perspectives as well. Um, but it, it is frustrating. And I think as a result of the fact that we don't really understand um, sexual behavior, sexual psychology, even things like things like squirting. It, you know, I think there is still so much, I think there's a lot of shame and that is one of the reasons as well um, because we don't understand why we're behaving this, the way that we're behaving. We just feel bad. Yeah, and that point about shame, I think is the real most important point about the forbidden is that if you yeah. make it okay to be researching, if we were having conversations more often about sex and sexual relationships, then it wouldn't be as a taboo subject. So we all are familiar with um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've all heard of that. Um, he, yep. he has this like um, hierarchy of things that every human needs. So number one is air. Number two is food and water, obviously. Mm-hmm. Number three is like rest. So sleep, clothing, shelter, like a, like a safe home, a safe harbor. But number four is sex. So before um, psychological empowerment before um, self-confidence is this physical need for sex and a lot of people have obviously argued about where sex should be in the hierarchy of needs but the point is that it's so fundamental to the human condition is having sexual relationships and yet we have so much shame around the things that we do in the bedroom and Therefore, the conversations that we have are so closed and that makes Mm -hmm. things forbidden that really don't need to be. I agree. Um, I don't know. Do you think that this idea of what's sexually forbidden has changed over time as well? Great question. And I think it depends on what culture you're talking about because Mm -hmm. we have um, cultures where we have monogamy as the standard. We have cultures in the world today where um, polygamy is the standard. We had cultures in human history where sex with very young people was considered okay, um, where homosexual sex was normal compared to kind of Western society where we're just kind of getting used to the idea of homosexual relationships. So it really depends on what culture and that's also the point is that we shouldn't have shame about what we do because there's no cultural norm the idea of even a monogamous relationship only came around in human history around a thousand to two thousand years ago before that um it wasn't a normal thing to um it wasn't kind of considered the standard to be monogamous and if we look at our closest um animal uh, uh, relatives. So if you look at um, chimpanzees and bonobos, you see that they have sex with in a non-monogamous way. They're polygamous groups. Yeah. So mm-hmm. why would humans be monogamous? This is kind of a more recent, um, a, re- a recent invention of humanity. So as far as has culture yeah. changed, it depends where you're talking about and also yeah. what time you're talking about. Well, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I guess from a personal perspective, I think some of the biggest shifts that I've seen, at least even in the decades that I've been around, are definitely the attitudes towards um, homosexual relationships. You know, now with a lot of that being legalized and I feel like culturally 
it is a little bit more accepted. But I think even going back to the alternative relationships, things like open relationships, I think there, um, that's also a shift that I'm noticing as well. I, I, I feel like this whole conversation about monogamy is, is slowly beginning to move ahead. Yeah. Um, and that people are considering open relationships a little bit more um, these days than before. And not just open relationships, I think, but also we're seeing more out there of like um, alternative sexual behaviors. So um, uh, the exercise of uh, finding pain pleasurable, I can't imagine would have been like a dinner time conversation in the 1950s, but um, thanks to the internet and the spread of information, it's okay to say like, this is my fetish. You can find other people that have similar fetishes. Uh, yeah. Yes, thank you, Internet. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, porn. Yeah, thanks, porn. Yeah. There's a lot of people that would argue that, um, and re- so much research has been dedicated to this. is one of the areas of uh, sexual research that people do want to study, which is porn and the effects of porn on the brain. I can't imagine why people would want to watch porn as part of their scientific research. Um <laughs> But there's like conflicting uh, studies on the health benefits of porn. So some people find that it, um, some pe- researchers have found that it helps reduce pain. Other researchers have found that it has a similar effect to certain drugs on the brain. But I think one of the benefits of porn is that it's just made sex so much more accessible. Even if you're not physically in the act of it, you can watch other people and see how other people behave. And then you can use those as models for yourself. So this is not saying that porn Mm. is a great model for sexual behavior, but it opens up um, our realm of experiences in a way we definitely wouldn't have been able to do 30 years ago. Yeah, I agree. And I think on um, pulling that back to the topic of exploring the forbidden porn in some ways, it helps us explore fantasies, right? And that is quite critical to exploring the forbidden as well. How do you know you like something unless you kind of see it and, and you feel like it's in front of you and, and you're aroused by it? And then maybe you think, okay, and there are some fantasies where you feel this is just better left in the fantasy realm and I'm just happy just watching this on screen and I don't ever want to do this in real life. But then there there are other fantasies where you think, okay, actually, I might want to try this out with a partner or something. And in some ways, porn allows you, um, it's a little gateway for you to explore the forbidden from that perspective. Have you ever had those acts where you, you kind of fetishize it or... And in your own personal experiences, can you think of an example where you've wanted to, like you've fantasized about a thing that you would absolutely never act out, but find desirable in theory? I think we've all kind of had those, like even Jai and I were talking yeah. before the episode about things like choking. So it might be yeah. that you're like, oh, this is um, something that I'm thinking about, but might not necessarily yeah. do on the person that I'm in a relationship with. So, oh yeah, I mean, I I feel like there there's stuff like in your erotic mind that is just your erotic mind doesn't work like your rational logical you know mind. Um, <laughs> it, for me, like personally, I you know I think I watch a lot of um, you know I I watch sometimes um, gangbangs and I think wow this is kind of 
kind of hot and, and in some ways I find it oh like I almost find it empowering for the women because I'm like wow she can handle like all this and I'm just impressed by her prowess and I think that the erotic brain my erotic brain finds that sexy but then I, I never want to be in a gang <laughs> that's just not me yeah but I think you know back to what you were saying Jade there's definitely something around I I would like to try this but I wouldn't try this with my current long-term partner there's mm. almost like if I could find somebody like even free of judgments probably going a step too far but somebody who I don't know who I've kind of got a who doesn't know me who I can kind of almost use as a bit of a a bit of a canvas bit of a blank canvas to actually say let's explore this together and there's like less consequence if it doesn't go well yeah so it's not like making any judgment in the relationship yeah which is sad and because think, we shouldn't have judgment in in relationships anyway. Yeah, you know, and I don't think even that judgment comes from a bad place. It's just like, you know, you care about the other person's opinion of you. And I think even people who aren't judgmental probably have a few insecurities around that anyway. But it is it is it is very difficult sometimes to have that kind of conversation about something that that might seem taboo or forbidden. Yeah. Well, that and also culturally, you already feel ashamed, right? Because, I mean, even me just saying that, oh, actually, I think sometimes watching, you know, porn, which is a gangbang, <laughs> I, I, you know, I say that very openly, and obviously, because this is a, a, a podcast about sexuality, but I can imagine, you know, if my mom heard that, yeah. I would be like... <laughs> mortified which I always uh, think about this I'm like is this a mom's like most of them I, I think I'd be okay with mom hearing I, most of them I think <laughs> and it, it's not and again it's it's not like I ever want it to happen in real life um, it's just that because our culture and society is the way that it is um, you know there's so much shame when you know I even say something like that something is that is so sort of forbidden and I, and I even admit that I'm finding it a turn on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just make it okay for everyone that's listening is that whatever acts in whatever culture that you're in, whatever acts are forbidden or considered um, taboo are going to be more desirable for that reason alone. So being able to say something like, I like to watch people in gangbang situations. We feel shame to admit that. I know that I find it really uncomfortable to just say that. Yeah, sentence. yeah me too. The, the yeah. uncomfortableness is kind of what makes it sexy. I agree. But I, I think, you know, because the, as I said, the erotic brain works quite differently from the rest of our other brain. I think when you, I think, you know, when you say that and the way that, you know, we, we're all being brought up and we're sort of culturally socialized, you, you kind of, it makes you wonder yourself, is there something wrong with me? Um, you know, why am I finding this a, a turn on? And I think you almost like start self-analyzing like yeah. um, that. And then it sort of gets you, you know, you go into some little rabbit hole. You know, is, is that what I really think about women? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think that's the danger, right? And, that, and that's the danger of the forbidden and the shame that comes with the forbidden. Yeah, and I like even... You feel the shame of something that's forbidden culturally, but you might also feel the shame of like desiring something in a relationship. So 
if anyone, I don't know about you guys, but in monogamous relationships, often I found that I fantasize about someone that's not my partner. So yep. that's absolutely something that you like might not want to admit to that person, <laughs> but you're really <laughs> Um, yeah, I, and I think that's quite common. Yeah, actually, that's super common. I think I've done it. It's almost—it's almost like a a, a brief interlude, you know. Like it's—it's it's yeah. not like like I think if you're not the same person all the time, there's probably yeah. something to check. But you know, it's yeah. kind of fun to have. You know, it's, it's just another form of role play. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Just the other person doesn't yeah. know they're doing role play. Exactly. <laughs> it's your imaginary orgy. Um, but with your partner <laughs> of like 20 years. <laughs> well, I think um, so- it actually becomes, I know from, from my experience and it might not be the same for everyone, but I know that when I've in the, a good relationship or a trusting relationship, if you can kind of make those things, those fantasies, acceptable and sexy so if you're in a relationship where it's okay to talk about the other people you're fantasizing about we've been able to use that to make the monogamous relationship even stronger so i think like you it's okay yeah. to fantasize and it's even better or can be even better if you're able to discuss those things within your relationship and have it be yeah. okay. i i really love the idea of actually fantasizing together with a partner so um, I have a little exercise sometimes that um, I recommend that people play um, is to write a fantasy of yours, um, but involving your partner in it. But it's a fantasy. Okay, I mean, let's say if you have a gangbang fantasy, it's your, it's your <laughs> fantasy. One, you know, maybe, maybe the, exactly, the guy right at the end, you know, after you had your like... 352 he's the last guy you know and and you write out your fantasy with your partner and you you write it out separately so you don't see it and then you kind of maybe exchange it and you make a little sort of date around that you know because it's kind of fun and you talk about it and you know maybe you you do a little bit of role play around that as well and I think it's something that should feel like we have the permission to do yeah. So this is um, I mean, what you're doing in that scenario is manipulating your brain chemistry to make sex more fun, which is awesome. So we yeah. talked earlier about um, the fun of the dopamine and adrenaline that comes with pursuing something that is forbidden. You can manipulate those same feelings, that same brain chemistry, even mm-hmm. with a, or a partner where you're doing an act that you might have done a thousand times before, but you can kind of hijack your brain by through role playing. Is this secret neuroscience power of role playing where we as humans have the ability to imagine a scenario so we can still be within the rules of our relationship, but explore the forbidden and have so much fun doing it. So, role play, awesome. From a neuroscientific perspective. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And, 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 and fantasy, fantasy play or fantasy exploration. Also a big fan from a sex coaching, sex educator point of view as well. Um, I did, I did want to talk a little bit about, about cheating though, because I feel like we kind of brushed over that sort of briefly. Um, and we were talking about um, your, your friend Demi. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wanted to put the question to you. Do you think that this, the, the, all these theories around the forbidden and all the neuroscience that we, we've been talking about, does that explain why we cheat on a partner? Yeah, so the main principle behind cheating is the scarcity principle. So when something okay. uh, is forbidden, you're not allowed to have it or it's rare and it becomes more valuable. So even with uh, job posts, when it is implied that there's more than one job, we don't really want to apply for it. But if it's just one job that you can have, we really value that more. It's the same when you're in a bar and you're the only girl in the bar, all the guys okay. are that girl attractive, <laughs> but it might it's uh, an elevated uh, assessment because of the scarcity principle and it's the right. same when you're in a relationship if there's only one person that you're allowed to have then everyone else out there is now scarce and the attractiveness of cheating is elevated because it's forbidden so right. I, my thoughts on this are i think we cheat because it's cheating because there's something out there that's forbidden and it makes us want mm. more. And so what do you do about that? How do you avoid that problem? Um, that's something that, you know, I have opinions on, but you know, it's up to everyone, you know, we've all yeah. kind of grappled with this, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think as well, you know, cheating, that's one thing, but there's also the whole context around cheating, right? There's there's the secrecy, there's the sneaking around, there's the lies. So that all makes the forbidden even more thrilling in some yeah. ways as well. Yeah, um, the dopamine feeling where or the adrenaline that makes you feel really good from pursuing something that's forbidden. It's the idea of obtaining something too. So if something is hard to get, we yeah. want yeah. it more. If something's expensive, we want to buy it. If something is, uh, you know, hard to achieve, we want it. So it's the same with relationships. If we have to put in effort to, you know, book the hotel and schedule secret time or seduce that person, it can mm. add um, a desirability that if we thought about it in our r- rational mind isn't necessarily mm. a real reflection of that person's desirability. I think sometimes we love the idea of cheating more than the cheating itself. When people get caught cheating, they yeah. often see what their behavior in a completely different light. So Yeah. But then that- yeah, not to mention and it's it's often the case when if you ever do make the partner that you're cheating with your your main partner it, it completely loses its appeal. You know what I mean? As in like the person that you're having the affair with, if you oh, suddenly, yeah. you know, if things change and that suddenly becomes your main partner because your, you know, relationship, you've decided to maybe leave your relationship for this person. And then I think it's quite common that you, after that you go, oh my gosh, this is just not what I expected <laughs> this from so this ordinary. person. It's so anticlimactic. We've all heard those stories of, you know, that's cheating on their partner and then they finally switch partners and they're like, oh, that person wasn't as desirable as I thought. Yeah, we've we've all heard those stories, definitely. Um, Well, I think the big link is if we're talking about the forbidden as in taboos and fetishes that you won't carry out with your partner, but you'll carry out with somebody else you don't know in the form of cheating, then maybe that can be prevented by having a conversation with your partner and saying, these are the things I want to explore and I'd like to explore them to with you, but I'm a bit scared about having this conversation with you. 
And then the second piece, which I think is separate, is you know that that cheating mindset um, is is more specifically around these things that you can't have. And then the third thing is f- about giving yourself the permission to explore, to meet new people, to meet new groups of people, whether that's online or offline, uh, to actually start to engage in some of these things that you might want to do, but you know your current s- social circle, your current community, you know, finds forbidden or you know perceives as taboo. Yeah. I mean, I I have a good idea for, you know, couples that have maybe been around for a long time and, and, you know, are very comfortable with each other. And I think it's based off of what you said just now, Jade, where, you know, this idea that if we have to work for something, then we find it more exciting. Um, And I think this is probably my my word of advice maybe to couples who have been together for um, a long time is to reintroduce this idea of working for something. And I think working for sex particularly uh, is quite um, an interesting sort of principle. So for example, um, I like to suggest things like uh, having like a temporary sex ban. Because the thing is when you're with a partner for a long time, sex becomes so available. You can always have it. And that's why you actually kind of lose interest in it because you're like, mm, okay, I can always have it so I'm not interested. And you don't really have to work for it. Um, I oh always my use- gosh, yes. I have been in that relationship before. Yes. <laughs> so my idea is actually to make sex less available. And um, one of my... Um, you know, one of my tips I um, for couples that have been together a long time is is perhaps to try sort of turning each other on for like a whole week, but without actually getting to the point where you can have actual penetrative sex. So you have like what I call a, a sex ban, but all you have you have um, you're just seducing each other with absolutely no sex. Um, but I think that's good, like, you know, rather than just not having sex, which, you know, might end up, you know, that whole thing we talk about where if you don't have it, then you lose interest in it. So I love yeah. that idea of, yeah, building it up. Yeah, Keeping correct. it in the conversation, keeping it in the mindset so you can, like, yeah, reach it to a, a point. Yeah, so yeah. You're, you're, you're anticipating, you're seducing each other, but every time you just get too close and the clothes come off, you're like, no, we got to stop. <laughs> and it, it sounds so frustrating, but I think this idea of making you know, something, having something out of reach. So you're working hard to earn it. Um, I think that is also kind of harnessing the, the brain's way of wanting something it doesn't, it can't have. Yeah. It's manipulating the neuroscience. So making it unavailable, but also like you're keeping it within the relationship. We're turning each other on, um, but making it, making sexual relations forbidden adds that those elements of adrenaline and the excitement that might have been missing and you can go the other way too so by talking about it having an uh, an open conversation with your partner about things that you might be desiring but feel really uncomfortable talking about with your partner your that open dialogue makes things that are forbidden or um definitely things that we felt like we couldn't talk about making them not forbidden. So it takes the desirability by having a conversation about fantasies. It takes that element of a little bit of the adrenaline away. So we might not be so attracted to. Yeah. Yeah. Making it not forbidden. And then my idea is making it more forbidden (laughs) in some ways where perhaps you, you create some things, a list of things, you know, 
which are taboo that you um and you you know put like sort of self-imposed temporary sort of bans on things which you can do or can't do and that could be kind of a game and and that could be fun as well manipulating the forbidden so it's working for you <laughs> yes <laughs> i agree i love that idea <laughs> um okay well we end all of our um podcast with a very quick rapid fire section and we'd like to maybe toss out a few questions with you jade um and jay and i will play too so the only rule is that you have about five seconds to answer um the question and if you don't have an answer that's fine we move on and clearly because we've been talking about the forbidden today all these questions are going to be somewhat related to that okay so Uh, question number one: um, Which of these forbidden acts would you most be sorry? Would you be most likely to commit? Sexting an ex, skinny dipping, or getting an a happy ending massage? <laughs> sexting an ex, especially after sexting teenagers. an ex, absolutely. Oh really? Okay, skinny dipping for me. I'm I'm like I I'm like a, I love like swimming in the sea like with no clothes on. It's so better fun. for girls and boys to do that. No, it's not. No, it's not. Um, okay, what is the most unusual or inappropriate place that you've ever had sex? Uh, on the street corner. Okay. Um, at the Easter show in Sydney. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, at uh, well, outside on Hollywood Road under a tree. <laughs> wow. Wow. That was so specific. <laughs> In a dark corner. <laughs> um, okay, and is there anything you won't do in bed? Oh. Hard like. Is that a yes no? Uh, no, it's a what won't oh. you do in bed? What well, I don't know yet. I haven't really said no to much anything yet. <laughs> oh really? Okay, it, okay. Well, is it a yes no or, and if it's a if it's a no, what <laughs> what is it that you wouldn't do? Uh, for me, I think there's certain limits of pain where I'm like, eh, that just looks too painful to be a turn on. Pain is great, yeah. but there's a, there's a limit. Yeah, agree. Um, for me, uh, this is not much, but I think anything to do with like blood yeah. or anything gory or graphic. Blood, yeah, yeah. Get him, get him yeah. I mean, I'm like, I'm fully into the weird. Like, I can embrace that. I can, I can do, you know, puppies or, you know, <laughs> all kinds of things. Like, no, like, I mean, like, like fantasy play or something oh, like that. Nice. Not actual puppies. But I think just anything too graphic um, or gory, I'm like, mm, no. Um, okay, last question. If you had to donate your body, to further the cause of sexual science. What do you hope they study you for? This is actually an interesting one because I wanted to donate my organs, but it's more important to donate your body to science and you can't do both. Um, I just hope that someone out there is researching uh, female sexuality because there's so little research on it. That's bro, but which part of your body, Jade? Yeah. Oh, which part of the body? <laughs> But it doesn't have to be a. It doesn't have to be a private body. Just any like all of you. Your your I cadaver. Want to figure out once and for all, if the G spot really exists. Yeah. <laughs> 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 
the data is is mixed. Yeah. <laughs> Blurry at best. Agree. I don't even know why it's still so controversial. Actually, they should really figure that out. Shouldn't they? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Mine is related to squirting because I mentioned that earlier. I feel like the science on that is just absolutely shocking. More research on squirting. If you're a scientist listening to this, uh, yeah. there you go. <laughs> That's your next paper. What about you, Jay? Um, I think it would be men's nipples because we still don't have an answer on that. <laughs> Ooh, <great topic. laughs> I actually think there is an answer on that. But anyway. um, okay, well, thanks, Jade, so much for joining us on the show today. It was so lovely chatting with you and I can't wait to see you in New York when I get there. Um, I hope we achieved a really good balance of science and storytelling today. So I think one of my key takeaways is that the lure of the forbidden is so intrinsically tied to who we are and our human nature that we can't run away from it, right? So it's more about harnessing that power and manipulating your brain um, to use that in a way that's positive for you. And we talked about a few ideas like fantasy, like making a forbidden list, like talking about things with your partner. And we'd love to hear from you. So listeners out yeah. there, let us know what your experience with the forbidden has been like. And we'd love to know if you've been able to explore it in a positive and meaningful way. And I happen to think personally that not all sex has to be respectful and comfortable and <laughs> intimate and romantic, even though those are absolutely wonderful things to have. And But I think sex that's kind of primal and pushes boundaries and it's just that little bit wrong, but also a little bit right, um, it's also fun. So I think we just need to mix it up, especially if we want to get better in bed. <laughs> and I know we all do. Thanks so much, Jade. Thanks, Jade. Thank you guys for making things a little bit less forbidden. Mm -hmm.